podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Thursday, December 30th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. It's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location, and access things like American Netflix or BBC iPlayer or whatever it is that you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and get a 48-hour free trial and then your first month for just one quid using the code EPL599. That's EPL599. Get your first month for one quid. No contract, no long-term obligation or commitment. Instant download to your devices and get using straight away. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy, and use the code EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, uh, first and foremost, it's my mother's birthday, so happy birthday, Mammy. Hope you have a good day. And on we go. Um, Where do I even begin? Six games to go through over the last two days. I might as well start with the one that caused me the most suffering and heartbreak. Leicester City won. Liverpool nil. Uh, Liverpool dominated the game. Absolutely battered Leicester around the place for the first half. Should have been a couple of goals up. Uh, Salah obviously missed a penalty. Mane missed a great chance. Liverpool were very wasteful. Jordan Henderson decided he could channel some delusion in his head that he was Steven Gerrard and sent three straight volleys into the stand, none of which he was ever going to score from. And uh, all things considered, it was a very, very frustrating half. In the second half, Leicester made a couple of quick changes. Liverpool brought Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain off, who was actually beginning to warm his way into the game and have an impact. Brought him off to bring Naby Keita on. Left on Henderson, who's stinking the place out again. And uh, a couple of minutes later, Leicester are ahead because Jordan Henderson can't be arsed doing his defensive work. Henderson tracks Dewsbury Hall to one side. Trent presses Luckman. Henderson waves at some imaginary friend of his to go and and do his job and, and take care of Dewsbury Hall. And stands still staring at the football for five full seconds. Five full seconds. Now, five seconds is nothing in normal life. But in football, five seconds changes a game. And if you want proof of that, look what happens in the five seconds after Dewsbury Hall, who Henderson has just abandoned and not bothered to go with, receives the ball completely unmarked. Count the next five seconds from when he receives the ball. 
and look what happens. Having ball watched, Henderson then decides not to pressure Dewsbury Hall at all, not to put any sort of challenge in on him, just lets him run, jogs back centrally. Luckman burns past Trent. Trent still overtakes Henderson, despite Henderson having a 10-yard head start. And uh, Luckman picks the ball up when Dewsbury Hall plays it across, drives into the box. Matip can't make a challenge because... Because Henderson has gesticulated and gestured, Matip started to go towards Dewsbury Hall, realised he wasn't going to get there, and was too far out of position then to get back in and make a challenge on Luckman. Van Dijk comes across, tries to make himself as, as big as possible and get a block in, because he doesn't want to commit to a challenge on the off chance that he gets be- beaten or concedes a penalty. He tries to get the block in, forces Luckman to make the decision, doesn't make the decision for him. And credit to Luckman, it's a really good finish. It's a really, really good finish. I saw some people say Allison should do better. Nonsense. Saw people say Van Dyke should do better. Nonsense. Saw people say Matip should do better. Nonsense. Matip was led astray by his captain. Saw people say Trent should do better, and I do think he should do slightly better in terms of getting back with Luckman. But Luckman is just a faster player than him. That's as simple as that. Luckman is just capable of running faster than Trent Alexander-Arnold. Trent does really well in the first instance to hold him up. But Henderson fails everybody. Fails Trent, fails Matip, fails the defence by not doing his job in four separate ways. Doesn't track the runner. Doesn't block the passing lane. Instead, he stands there staring at the ball. Doesn't try and get a challenge in on Dewsbury Hall. Doesn't get back to pressure him. And while not doing that, also doesn't sprint back to try and block the passing lane to Luckman. And just jogs back and then has a moan at people. He himself was hauled off about 10 minutes later uh, and not before time. And then the game just played out with Leicester. Defending for their lives and Liverpool not really having much clue of what to do. Aimlessly launching cross into the box. And um, probably giving City an insurmountable lead in the title race. We'll get to that. Uh, Other games that day. Let's move on. Um, Southampton won. Tottenham won. Saints went one up on 25 minutes. A beautifully struck goal by James Ward-Prowse. A half volley just inside the box after a weak clearance from a set piece by Deli Ali. Great finish. Uh, and Saints were, were playing well. Spurs were still having, you know, some opportunities. They looked like they were going to break Saints down or trying to break Saints down. Salisa picked up a cheap yellow card on the halfway line for a silly foul. And then on 39 minutes, he brings down Youngman's son, who's been put through by a great ball by Harry Winks. Salisu gets back, can't get to the ball, brings down son. It's a penalty, it's a second yellow, and he's off. Kane steps up, it's a sensational penalty, absolutely driven into the top corner. And now Saints are back to the wall. They have Literally one mandate now is to cling on and hope that they can ride out the storm. And they did with a lot of help from the officials. Now, 
Spurs had two goals disallowed in this game. And personally, I think they're both the wrong call. So Kane is flagged for an offside. It's another great through ball, I think, by Winks again. Kane runs onto it, and it's a really good finish. They bring it back, and they check the offside. Now, where they draw the line from on Kane isn't his armpit. It's about halfway between shoulder and elbow. And we were told the rule was changing so that that wouldn't be considered offside. I think it's a really bad call. I think he was onside. I think that goal should have counted. The other one, Fraser Forster comes for a high ball, catches it, kind of lands on Matt Doherty. Doherty doesn't do anything. The ball squirms out of Forster's arms. I think it hits Doherty on the heel and dribbles into the net. And that's disallowed. And I don't know why it's disallowed. There is no foul committed on the goalkeeper. No foul at all committed on the goalkeeper. Doherty has not tried to jostle the ball out of his arms. He's not jumped into the keeper. The keeper's jumped into him. I think it's a shocker of a decision. I think Spurs have been robbed. But I will say, Saints deserve the point for the shift they put in. They defended as well as they could. They worked incredibly hard. But Spurs should feel hard done by. They really should feel hard done by. Um, moving on. Watford 1, West Ham 4. Um, Emmanuel Dennis put Watford 1 up on four minutes. Really good goal. Really well worked. Uh, he's a tremendous player having an excellent season. That's eight goals and five assists this season. Really, really impressive from Emmanuel Dennis. Um. And it looked for a little bit like Watford could potentially upset the apple cart. West Hammer in bad form, missing some players. Watford had a couple of more half-decent chances, and then it was just a procession from there. Uh, Thomas Suchek on seven minutes. Said Benrama. Oh, sorry, on 27 minutes. Said Benrama on 29. Um, he'd hit the crossbar with an absolute stunner of a shot earlier in the game. Uh, Mark Noble from the penalty spot on 58 and Nikola Vlasic on 92. Uh, West Ham, absolutely good value for the win. But Watford's defence is just... I really don't know what to make of it, but it is the worst defence individually. From an individual point of view, it's the worst defence you're going to find. Like... There's only so many times I can I can slander a player on this podcast that I feel I'm bad from. But my God, how is Craig Cathcart a Premier League defender? How is this a thing? How is this a thing? Credit to West Ham. It's a good win for them. Gets them back on the winning track after, obviously, two games where, where they lost in disappointing fashion. But how is... How are Watford putting out this defence and pretending like all is okay? Like, I get that last season they had a good defensive record in the championship. But let me bring you examples of Fulham, who've come up into the Premier League from the championship with decent defensive records, and then stuck Dennis Adoy and people like that in Premier League games and watched them get absolutely embarrassed. 
I think my favourite thing about Watford's season is that since Carlo took over, they've won two games. They hammered Everton and they hammered Manchester United. Uh, Ranieri took over on the 4th of October. They lost 5-0 to Liverpool. They beat Watford. Uh, they beat Everton 5-2. They lost Southampton. They lost to Arsenal. They hammered Manchester United. 4-1. They lost to Leicester. They lost to Chelsea. They lost to City. They lost to Brentford. Then they had three games in a row called off. And then they get thumped by, by uh, West Ham. I, I don't know. I said at the time I didn't think the Carlo appointment was a good one. I stand by that. I mean, you know, two wins and eight defeats. 15 goals scored. 25 conceded. It's, it's not great. It really is not great. And... Ah, Claudio, sorry, yeah, it's... I don't know why I keep calling him Carlo. I don't know why I keep calling him Carlo. The man's name is Claudio Ranieri. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it was the right appointment. And I wish he would leave. Go and retire, and then I won't be calling you Carlo anymore. I won't be getting confused. Get them a manager called John or something, and I won't have any more confusion. Um, no, I, I just don't think Carlo... Uh, I don't think Claudio is, is up for managing in the Premier League anymore. Look what happened when he went to Fulham. I think whatever happened at Leicester was lightning in a bottle. If you did it a thousand times over, it would never happen again. It was a disaster the second year. I mean, his overall win percentage at Leicester in 81 games is 44%. Like, how do you have a 44% win rate and win the Premier League title? That's just not normal at all. Um, failed at Nantes. It was a disaster at Fulham. Won three of 17 games. Did okay in a caretaker spell at Roma for 12 games. I don't think he did all that well at Sampdoria. I've seen people give him credit. I don't know why. And uh, it's been a mess since he took over at Watford. Now, it's not all his fault. He inherited a mess. But still. But still. It is. It might be time to look for somebody else. Look for somebody that can go down with you and rebuild you and help you come back up. Uh, Crystal Palace 3, Norwich 0. Edouard on 8 from the penalty spot. Mateta on 38 from a an Edouard assist. And Jeff Schlupp on 42 from sort of an Edouard assist, but don't think he actually meant to pass the ball to him. Palace ran away with this one. It was very, very comfortable. This was a Palace team. With no Zaha, no Elise, no Ezzy, no Conor Gallagher. And yet this was absolutely routine for them. They just embarrassed Norwich in the first half. Now, I do think Dean Smith needs to be criticised here. He played Billy Gilmore and then admitted Billy Gilmore was ill. That's not right. That's not right at all. I get that you're low on squad numbers. But Lise Malou could have played in central midfield. Josh Sargent could have played up front. You could have done something different. Kieran Dowell could have played in the 10 spot with Malou in midfield. You didn't have to do this. And Billy Gilmore came in for some horrendous abuse from some Norwich fans during the game. I don't think that loan is going to last the year, if I'm honest. I think, I think Chelsea will pull him back. In the January window. 
I think he might request to be to be taken out of there. It's just it's getting toxic, and it's not fair on a very talented young player. Uh, so those are the four games from Tuesday. Last night, Chelsea won Brighton nil. Uh, Lukaku put Chelsea up on twenty eight with a good header. Danny Welbeck equalised on the ninety for in the ninety first minute uh, with a great header. Antonio Rudiger left in the mud. I think Chelsea got a little bit hard done by here. Um, the the Pulisic one is not a penalty. Pulisic loses control of the ball, but the Hudson Odoi two v one. Uh, that's a handball by Joel Veltman. And it is deliberate. And his hand is in an unnatural position. That's a handball that should have been a penalty. Uh, but I will say, I thought Yves Basuma was absolutely phenomenal in the second half of this game. I thought he was absolutely tremendous. Ran the game. Antonio Rudiger should have been sent off in this game as well. The, the challenge he put in on Tariq Lamptey was a disgrace. It's two-footed, completely out of control, and the epitome of dangerous play. And there's no excuse for it at all. It was disgraceful. Bad news for Chelsea. Reese James got injured. He had to go off. Andreas Christensen got injured. He had to go off. Both of them may well miss the weekend. That obviously won't be good because they play Liverpool, and that'll be a huge blow. Massive credit to um, to Brighton, though. I mean, for what it was a, a makeshift team to put in that level of performance, hang on until the end and get a result. Really, really well done. Some some very good performances, but I, I just did think Basuma was absolutely outstanding. Um, really showed why a lot of top clubs could do with getting him in the door. Uh, Manchester City won Brentford nil. Phil Foden on 16 with the only goal, turning home a Kevin De Bruyne across. City didn't look great at all. Didn't play well, but you know the, the, the toilet was clogged with, with Jack Grealish being in the team. They're just not nearly as good without, with him in the team. It's as simple as that. They're just not as good with him in the team. There's been some controversy over whether Foden was onside or offside. I think he's onside. I do. I think Ethan Pinnock's foot plays him onside. I don't think there's any way you can really dispute it too much. I think Pinnock plays him onside. But City didn't play well. Um, they did hit the post once. I think the keeper made one good save. But Ederson had to make the two most impressive saves of the game. Uh, Brentford did give them a tough enough time. And that was a Brentford team missing a lot of players. So, you know, credit to them for showing up and showing out. But uh, City march on. The Premier League table has City top 50 points from 20 games. Chelsea second, 42 points from 20 games. Liverpool third, uh, 41 from 19. Arsenal fourth, 35 from 19. Then West Ham on 31. They've played 19. Spurs on 30 from 17 games. I would make them right now the favourites to finish in the top four. United, uh, 28 points from 17 games. Then we get Wolves, Leicester, Brighton, Palace, Aston Villa, Southampton, Brentford, Everton, Leeds, Watford, Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich. Burnley and Newcastle sitting 18th and 19th. 
on the same amount of points. Burnley have a better goal difference. Burnley have played four games less than Newcastle. They've played two games less than Watford. Three less than Leeds. Now, they're tough enough games that they've had called off. Is worth pointing that out. But Burnley do have a chance to get themselves out of this current predicament. Um, the games that they have to play. They've got they've had four games cancelled. Um, Tottenham at home. Watford at home is a game you'd expect them to win. Aston Villa away. And then Everton at home. A game that I expect them to win. I think there's two wins there. And if they can win those two games, now admittedly that would be double their win tally so far, but if they won those two games, all of a sudden they're 16th. So they're the team I think gets out of that. I think Watford are the one that drop in with Newcastle and Norwich. Newcastle just seem set on signing players that don't really fill needs for them. Like Newcastle's needs are fairly obvious. Centre-back, Central midfield, someone to score a few goals. And yet all I see linked is Kieran Trippier, a bunch of attacking midfielders that won't help, and no strikers. Sven Botman's been linked. I don't think he's going to have any interest in that move. But he alone's not fixing that defence. Um, it's an odd one. It is an odd one. Uh, we have one game tonight in the Premier League. It is Burnley. Away to Manchester United. Reports in the last 24 hours or so of unrest at Manchester United. Um, apparently some of the players not overly enthused by Ralph Ranić's methods. There is a power struggle allegedly going on and Ralph Ranić is kind of caught in the middle of it. But uh, yeah. That's what he gets paid for. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we've got some questions. We'll have some gossip. There's a little bit of news. And we'll be out of here nice and quick. See you in a few. Right, welcome back. So, uh, a bit of news to get through. Chelsea have announced losses of 145.6 million after tax for the year up to the 30th of June 2021. So that includes their Champions League win. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal loss. Now, obviously, they did uh, spend a lot of money in the previous summer, so that does factor into that. Uh, very cool story on the BBC website. Um, about Roberto Lopez of Shamrock Rovers in Ireland, who's Dublin-born, Dublin-bred, but his father is from Cape Verde, and through a roundabout kind of what started as a joke, he's been called up to the Cape Verde national team and will be playing in the AFCON. So that's very, very cool. Very, very cool. Give that one a read. It's a really good piece uh, written by Mark Gleeson. Well worth your while having a read of that one. 
Jurgen Klopp has had some comments about how you know Liverpool have given City uh, a lead in the title that's going to be very, very hard to overcome. And I think he's right to say it. City are eight points clear of Chelsea, nine clear of Liverpool. Liverpool do have a game in hand, but City have Arsenal at the weekend, Liverpool have Chelsea. So if City win, and let's say Liverpool-Chelsea draw, well, all of a sudden it's an 11-point gap and Liverpool have a game in hand. So that's not ideal. That's not ideal at all. Um, Thomas Tuchel has come out and said it's stupid to think Chelsea can win the title. A little bit defeatist, obviously, but the reality of it is City do just look pretty invincible at the minute. Ten wins in a row in the Premier League. Um, And half those games, they they don't even play all that well. And yet, they just still roll through teams. They're incredibly well coached, incredibly well drilled. And credit to them. Um, Ian Wright has spoken out on the media's disrespect of the AFCON. And look... I, I fully agree with what he's saying here. And I, I've maybe not disrespected, but disparaged the AFCON a few times. But it's not something I don't respect it as a competition. I absolutely do. I love the AFCON. I'm actually looking forward to watching the games. It's when it's on that bothers me. That's it. Just when it's on. It disrupts the domestic season. Now, I get it's too hot most summers in the countries that this tournament is played in for it to go ahead in the summer months. But still, that's my only gripe. It's just, it disrupts the season. Simple as that. Um, Yeah, we have some listeners' questions, so I'm going to jump into those. Uh, Del, a question for you. If you were to make an all-time La Liga 11, would any all-time 11 Premier League players make it in there. So my all-time La Liga 11... Now, I'm going to base this on... Only on the years the Premier League existed. So, like, 92 to now is what I'm going to pick my La Liga 11 based on. Not anything before that, so I'm not picking Maradona. Even though I don't think I would pick him because he didn't exactly have the best of times in La Liga. Um... I'm not picking anyone before 92. So, Zubi Zaretta, I think, was a better goalkeeper than Iker Casillas, but Iker did have a much longer spell. I still think Zubi Zaretta is a better goalkeeper. What year did he finish up playing in La Liga? 98. Do you know what? I'm just going to go with Zubi. He, I think he's the better goalkeeper. I do. I think Zubi Zaretta was a better goalkeeper than Iker Casillas. So I'm going to go with him. Danny Alves at right back. I think that's a no-brainer. I think Car- Roberto Carlos at left back is fairly obvious. Centre back, it's Carlos Puyol and it's Fernando Hierro. It's not PK. It's definitely not Ramos. It's Carlos Puyol and Fernando Hierro. In midfield, I'm going with a box midfield, Redondo and Busquets, Laudrup and Iniesta. And then up front, it has to be Messi and Cristiano. It has to be. Now, people will say, oh, but what about, and I've just done it, I'm about to say, what about Zidane? And frankly, Zidane has to be in. So 
Andreas Iniesta, sorry for your trouble. Out you go, son. It's it's Laudrup and it's Zidane in the attacking two roles. It's Redondo and Busquets in the defensive midfield roles. It's Cristiano and it's Messi in the front two roles. And as for what about Ronaldo? Ronaldo was incredible. But of the years where he was absolutely out of this world, only one of them was in La Liga at Barcelona. And then he left and went to Inter Milan. And then his knees exploded. And when he came back, that Ronaldo, the one that came back to Real Madrid, he wasn't as good as Cristiano or as Messi. Simple as that. He was just wasn't. He may never have been as good as Messi. His pre-injury years, he was definitely a better player than Cristiano. But he was never as good when he came back and played for Real as Cristiano was. Uh, I may well have upset some people by leaving out Xavi and Iniesta. I don't care. Laudrup, and I'm going with Zidane. I'm leaving out Figo. That hurts me. It hurts me to my soul to leave out Figo. But I have to do it. Um, what Premier League all-time players would get in? So... I mean, Van Dijk would get in. Van Dijk's a better centre-back than either of those two. Saul Campbell is a better centre-back than either of those two. I would say Carvalho was a better centre-back than either of those. Yeah, than either of those two. Yeah, pick any two from those three. Tony Adams, you can have him either. Pick any two from those four. Yapstam would have been better as well. So you can have you can have any two of Stam Van Dyke, Adams, Campbell, or Carvalho as your centre backs. Um, I think Peter Schmeichel and Petr Cech are better goalkeepers than Zubi Zareta, so I will allow either of those two uh, in goal. Not having any Premier League right back over Alves, Ashley Cole. Obviously, a much better defender than Roberto Carlos, but not as good going forward. So, if you have a preference for a more defensive-minded player, Cole was still good going forward, and Cole may well have been a better all-round player than Carlos. But I'm just going to stick with Carlos because I love watching him play. But I could say see a strong argument for Ashley Cole. Um, Central midfield, no. Simple as that. No, I'm not having anyone. I'm not. I lo- I love Keane. I'd have Redondo and I'd have Busquets over Keane. I'd have them both over Vieira as well. I'd have them both over Lampard. Lampard would obviously be more in the Zidane, uh, Laudrup range, and that's not a close call. I'm not having Skulls. As much as I love Gerrard, I'm not having him over Laudrup or over Zidane. Uh, No, no Premier League midfielders for me. And up front, I'd take Prime Henry. And if Suarez had stayed longer, I'd take either of them over Cristiano. I'd consider Shearer. Imagine the carnage of a prime Shearer with Messi playing off him. But I think I'll just stick with what I have. Um, yeah, so that's that one. Uh, your all-time 11 consisting of players who were relegated from the Premier League from 1992 until now. Oh, that is good. Oh, that's a good one. Um, 
let me get a piece of paper. This one might take a couple of minutes. So, oh, I didn't see this one before. So this is a this is a good one. Nineteen eighty-two Premier League. Right. Let's see. So, I suppose the place to begin is to look at the best teams that have gone down. And it's hard to look beyond the Middlesbrough team that went down. Because, I mean, look at the players they had. Um, right. So, Janino's definitely going to be in. Ravinelli's definitely going to be in. Who else was in that team that has to... There's a few others that have to be in. Mark Schwarzer was a really... Mark Schwarzer's probably going to be the goalkeeper. I loved Emerson, but he was... We'll call him inconsistent and be kind. Um, Janino's definitely in. Ravinelli's definitely the striker. Or one of the strikers, we should say. Um, okay. Right. Manchester City went down in 95, I want to say. I want to say that's when they went down. Uh, Georgie Kinkladze has to be in the team. Has to be. What a sensational player. Um, Gary Flickcroft was a really good player. Keith Curl, now at that point he was well past his best. But Keith Curl was a really good defender. What age was he at that point? 32. He wasn't too far, far past. I might go Keith Curl as a centre back. Um, let's see. Hmm. Right, let's move past those years. Who was in that? Was that was Brian Roy in that team? Nottingham Forest, ninety-six, ninety-seven. Who did Nottingham Forest have in that team? They did have Brian Roy. They also had Pierre van Hoydonk, but he went on strike, so I don't think we can really count him. It'd be very tempted to put Brian Roy in that team. On the left wing. But apparently. Apparently Brian Roy. Is a big COVID conspiracy theory. Nut. In April. To, this is madness. In April 2021. Brian Roy replied to a, a tweet. About Dutch Prime Minister Mark Ruth. Saying he would be shot through the head soon. 
Roy was questioned by the police to whom he declared he believes Ruth should be executed because of some QAnon conspiracy theories about him. Because of this tweet, Roy was convicted of threatening the Prime Minister and sentenced to 80 hours of community service under two years probation. If he violates the terms of his probation, he will have to serve a prison sentence of four weeks. Brian Roy's a lunatic. I did not see that happening. Brian Roy is a lunatic. That is tremendous stuff. How did I not know this? Right. Brian Roy's on the shortlist, but I don't know if we can really put him in. Um, let's see. Blackburn. Damien Duff. He might be one to consider. He wasn't a kid at the time, though. Chris Sutton? Chris Sutton was still pretty good at that point. Chris Sutton might be worth consideration. Maybe Sutton and Ravenelli up front. Um, this is a more difficult question than I actually thought it was going to be. Ninety-nine. Ninety-nine. Two thousand. Sheffield Wednesday. I know he was well past his best, but I've got to put Des Walker in. You have to respect Des Walker, an absolutely brilliant centre-back in his prime. So we're going to go with Des Walker. Andy Hinchcliffe was a good left-back, but as Guy pointed out, I think Andy Robertson's the best left-back to be relegated from the Premier League. Um... I suppose we need to look at the Leeds team that went down. Do do Leeds. Oh three, oh four, Leeds United. The left back would have been Ian Hart, so he doesn't qualify. He's not good enough to qualify. Paul Robinson, he might have been a better choice for goalkeeper, considering he played for England at this point. Paul Robinson might have to be the goalkeeper. Uh, Mark Viduka. Seth Johnson, anybody? James Milner? Only a pup at the time. Um, Didier Domi. God, I forgot they had him. Who's all right at Newcastle? I need a right back. And a couple of central midfielders. Um... David Batty, now he was at the end of his career by then. He'd only really gone back to try and 
dig them out of the hole. I'd say I'm gonna say Zambo as one of my central midfielders. Um as a right back, I'm going to go for because he's gonna get in again this year. Max Ahrens, there's probably a better one, but I'd want to get moved on. Um another central midfielder then. Um Jefferson Lerma. He's a really good player that got relegated recently. So I've got Schwarzer in goal. I've got Max Ahrens and Andy Robertson as my fullbacks. Keith Curl and Des Walker as my centre backs. Zambo and Gisa and Jefferson Lerma as my centre midfielders. Kinkladze and Janino as my sort of wide players slash wingers. And Chris Sutton and Ravinelli up front. That'll do. That'll do nicely. Uh, it might not be Chris Sutton. He's the one I don't really feel all that good about. But I like I like the rest. I do like that. I'm going to put Brian Roy in. Chris Sutton on the bench, son. Brian Roy, an absolute lunatic by the sounds of things. So Brian Roy left wing, Kinkladze right wing, and Janino in the 10 behind Ravinelli. Um, that was my chair making a bizarre noise. Uh, let's move on then. What's the next question? That one was from AMK2889. This one's from Chris Colby. Is there any football managers past or present that could have the same career as John Madden, winning head coach to beloved broadcaster and, of course, his video game legacy? Klopp would seem like an obvious choice if he retired earlier. I'm not sure there are a lot of managers that could have checked all those boxes. I think I think Mourinho could have. If Mourinho... After he left United, had stayed doing punditry. I actually think he would have fallen into this category because I do think he was becoming fairly admired, if not beloved, as a broadcaster. I thought he was brilliant, to be honest. Um, Wenger's probably a little bit too old. Klopp is probably a little bit too old. Mourinho was the one for me with the with that personality. I think he could have done it. Uh, as for kind of younger managers now, I mean, Simeone, I think, could do it, uh, but doesn't speak good enough English, so probably doesn't have the appeal. The appeal, I, I, again, I, it's Mourinho. It is Mourinho, because love him or hate him, everybody talks about him. And you can't deny the incredible career he's had. The guy speaks like five languages fluently, so he could do the broadcasting thing in England, in Spain, in France, in Portugal, in Italy. He could do that easily uh, across multiple countries. And I think Mourinho would have enough cachet to pull off the video game style thing. Losing John Madden is a huge blow to anybody that grew up playing the game or anybody that grew up follow, watching the NFL. And that, that doesn't include me. I would have, I knew Madden first and foremost from the game and then looked into who he actually was. Uh, by the time I really got into watching the NFL, he wasn't on the call all that often. Um, but yeah, I would say Mourinho is the guy. Mourinho's the guy who could. Could have done it, might have tarnished his legacy a little bit too much by now with you know how the Spurs thing went, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll go with him. De Langstar, okay. What do you think fan expectation should be for Liverpool rebuild in the 
future. Should we accept a multi-year downturn where we recruit the next generation of our team and wait for them to be ready? Or do do we need to de- demand a more win-now mentality? Personally, I think a combination of the two is what's best. Look at how Bayern transitioned from Robin and Re- from Robin and Ribery as an example. Uh, Musiala now emerging and will be ready to step up when Muller is gone. I can't escape the feeling that we're leaving ourselves towards a situation where massive work will have to be done. And if the signings don't work out as well as they have recently, what are we left with? Salah and Mane for a combined 60 million is ridiculous and will be something hard to replicate. Look, I think it has to be a win now, win long term sort of approach. Kind of what you're saying. I think Liverpool have done a decent but not good enough job at bringing in young players. Harvey Elliott's going to be a very, very good player. Cade Gordon looks like he could be a star. There's a couple of others, but I think they should have been casting a wider net. I think they should have been all over the signing of Suleimani before he went to Rennes. Jeremy Doku, I think they should have pushed a lot harder to get him in. Even saying to him, look, here's a six-year contract. We will send you on loan for two years to a team where you're going to start and you will develop there and then you'll come back to us. And if you've done well enough, there'll be a big contract boost waiting for you. I think Liverpool have let certain players slip to the net. I think they're overly cautious. I think they're overly cautious because the owners don't back the the manager or the recruitment team enough. Uh, So what should they expect? I think they should expect a few years of downturn. They shouldn't accept it. They shouldn't be happy with it. But I think they should expect it because I think that's what these owners are going to be like. Uh, Bonus question, if I can. This time next week, I'll be on a plane to Vancouver for an Erasmus for my second semester of college. I will have a week without classes later on in the semester where I plan to travel to the States. Is there an MLS or general American sports team that you think will be worth seeing or just taking a stadium tour for? So I would take the stadium tour at Safeco. Um, the Seattle Mariner Stadium. It's a shame you're going to miss the MLS, the NFL season, because I think going to see a Seahawks game would be incredible. The NBA season season should still be going on, so go and watch the Portland Trailblazers play. Um, go and watch the Mariners play. The MLS season, I think, should be kicked off. Well, it depends on when that week is, I suppose. But um, the Trailblazers, they're not very good this season, but Dame Lillard is still Dame Lillard. He's still one of the 10 best guys in the league. So he'll he'll sort things out. This isn't going to be a season-long slump, I don't believe, for Dame. So go watch him play. Uh, go watch a Mariners game if you get a chance. There's some some exciting players on that team, and um, I think the Portland Timbers Stadium. When is MLS kicking off next season? MLS is due to kick off on February 26th. So assuming your week off is after that, do yourself a favor. Go and watch a Portland Timbers game at home if you can. 
Go and watch them play at home. The stadium's it, it was really cool. They've got some great traditions. And the log cutting thing is one of the coolest things I've seen. Um, wouldn't be a bad thing if you can get to a Seattle Sounders game either. It's at the same stadium as the Seahawks play. It's Lumen Field, I think it's called now. Um, it is a phenomenal arena. It, the atmosphere at a Seahawks game will raise the hairs in the back of your neck. But for Sounders games, it's still pretty good. So do check that out. That stadium was designed basically for uh, for acoustics. If you've got a bit of time while you're in Vancouver as well, go and check out a Canucks game. Go and see the Canucks play. Uh, see the Whitecaps play. There's Their stadium, the Whitecaps stadium, is very, very cool as well. So check that out. But I assume you'll get to Seattle or Portland or maybe both in that week. Um, Timbers game, Trailblazers game, Mariners game, Sounders game. Do those type of things. If you can get stadium tours at any of the stadiums in those places, I think they'll be worthwhile. I really do. I don't think you're going to have to leave the Pacific Northwest to have a really good time on that week. And if you're in Vancouver for the year, or well, for six months or however long it's going to be, do check out the Whitecaps and the Canucks. I think you'll really enjoy those. Um, <laughs> fact 1977. Can you rank the Premier League keepers for most whiny after a chance? I think I've done this before. I think I've done this before. Uh, he's right. Number one is Pickford. Uh, number two, I would say, is is Ramsdale, who has tantrums and everything he has to do a bit of work, but gets really pumped up when he makes a save. I think it's much of a muchness. I do feel like I've done this one before. I can't for the life of me remember how I ranked them. I think I just ranted about Pickford's tiny arms at the time. But... um. Yeah, I, I think it's Pickford Ramsdale. De Gea has like little tantrums, like little snarky ones. Allison kind of gives his defenders dirty looks. Edison's not really a ranter and a raver. Mendy can get quite animated at times. I think Sanchez at Brighton gets a little bit narky. With his defenders when they allow a good chance to rank them, I don't know. I I I think I've done it before. I, I'm I, I'm not going to do it again uh, because Keem Dreamstar. I want words with you, son. I wonder will, when will Dave hop off the Bruno train? It's abundantly clear why we didn't go from well, why we didn't go from is because the F, uh, the owners wouldn't put forward the money. The manager and the recruitment team wanted them. Uh, now that the this is brilliant. Now that the pens have dried up and his daddy has joined. Everyone is paying attention to the reports of him being a black hole. First of all, he's not a black hole for the ball at all. That is complete nonsense. Let's look at the facts of it. Any attacking player who plays with Cristiano Ronaldo throughout his career has suffered a downturn. Rooney, Tevez, Berbatov, Isco, Bale, Benzema, Higuain, Dybala, Chiesa, Bernadeschi. Do you want me to keep going? Greenwood, Rashford, every player that plays with him sees a big downturn in their numbers. He's not a good player to play with. 
Look at Portuguese players such as Bruno, such as Bernardo Silva for their clubs and then look at them when they play for Portugal with him. He holds back other players because it's all about him. It has to be all about him. It was always going to happen that Bruno was going to have a downturn in his numbers this season once the show pony turned up at Old Trafford. But you say, once the pens dried up, do you know who holds the record for most goals by a midfielder in a Premier League season without penalties? Oh, it's Bruno Fernandes. It's Bruno Fernandes. Most non-penalty goals in a Premier League season, Bruno Fernandes. So penalties were always a nonsense. He's got five goals and nine assists this season in 23 games in 1,856 minutes. Five goals and nine assists while being held back. He's still going to go potentially 10 and 20 across the whole season. Last season, he went 28 and 17. Season before that, 27 and 22. Like, you're not taking those numbers away because you think he scores penalties. 32 and 18 the year before that. You think he's scoring 32 penalties? 16 and 20 the year before that. This guy is just an absolute production machine. He's an absolute monster. The reason Liverpool didn't go for him is because the owners wouldn't front the money. That's why they didn't go for him. So I like you. Don't be tweeting me nonsense. Please. Please. You get me riled up. I'm already riled up enough. Have you not seen what Jordan Henderson has done to me this week? With his performance. With his refusal to do the basics of his job. Please don't tweet me things like that. Please. Um, right. We've got some gossip. Two days worth. Of gossip to get through. So we'll start with yesterday's. Uh, Kylian Mbappe will not be moving to Real Madrid in January. And will be staying at PSG until the end of the season. When his contract runs out. We Everybody knew that anyway. Uh, Rafinha who has been linked with Bayern Munich. And Liverpool will not push for a move in January. Again we all knew that. Barcelona have not given up, given up trying to sign Cesar Azpilicueta. Apparently that one's close to done. Or Andreas Christensen. Uh, Christensen would be a good signing for them. He really would. Everton have discussed a potential move to sign Ross Barkley. Right. Chelsea are trying to sign Luca Dina. So I assume that would be some sort of swap deal with Cash and Barkley going to Everton for, uh, for Dina. Chelsea could recall 27-year-old Emerson Palmieri from his loan at Leon or 19-year-old Dutchman Ian Matson from Coventry, because they've now got a left-back injury crisis, or I think an all-over full-back injury crisis, with the new injury to... Um, with the new injury to Reese James. I'm sorry, I've just gotten distracted here. Have they remade Around the World in 80 Days? This is completely off-topic. They have. Is that David Tennant? It is. I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know this was a thing. 
Oh, this is magnificent. Is it just a two-parter? Oh, I, I have to watch this. This is absolutely magnificent. Around the world in 80 days. This is completely non-related to anything football-wise, but, you know, it's Christmas allowed. Um, no, so there is to be eight episodes. Uh, oh, two a week. Okay, oh, two this week, two next week, one the week after. Oh, and then one for four weeks. I'll, I'll wait. Let's over and binge the whole thing. I am. I will very much look forward to watching that, though. I love Around the World in Eighty Days, and I love David Tennant. So that is absolutely perfect for me. Um, I've gotten so distracted. Um, Czech Republic striker Patrick Schick is a target for a number of Premier League clubs. He has been tremendous this season, absolutely tremendous. Wouldn't surprise me to see him rock up at West Ham, uh, given their new ownership situation. Manchester City will not sign a replacement for Ferran Torres following his move to Barcelona in order to give time to Cole Palmer. Fair enough. Arsenal will have to pay £38 million to, to sign Bruno Gomes. Bruno Gomes would be a brilliant signing for them. He genuinely would. Newcastle are lining up a move for Samuel Mtiti. Well, he, they, he's definitely available. Definitely available. Um, Newcastle are also interested in bringing in Gabby Barbosa. I don't know that Gabby Goal is the right player for the Premier League. Aston Villa's 25-year-old Brazilian has received offers from Internacional and Sao Paulo to return to Brazil in January. Isn't he on a season-long loan? Italy forward Lorenzo Insigne, whose contract runs out in the summer, is tempted by an offer from Toronto FC and the MLS side are pushing to sign the 30-year-old in January. They are also trying to sign uh, Andrea Bellotti. If they got both of those, there would just be carnage in MLS. Uh, Insigne could be prepared to choose the move to Toronto over Tottenham and Inter Milan. I don't think there's any real Tottenham interest. I don't think he wants to play for another Italian club. But I think he's so loyal to Napoli. So, yeah, look, go get your money. Go get your money. Juventus want to change the terms of the contract extension agreed with Paolo Dybala. Who, oh, nonsense. Um, QPR are ahead of Nottingham Forest in trying to sign Steve Cook. Why, does, why did either of them want to sign a defender who's not good enough to start for either of them? Middlesbrough are closing in on signing Aaron Connolly on loan from Brighton. Could be an interesting one. Could be an interesting one. I think he'd do quite well under Chris Wilder. Uh, where are we? Borussia Dortmund are putting together a deal to try and persuade Erling Haaland to stay with them. I have doubts. I have big doubts. Manchester City, I have doubts. Not, I don't have doubts that they'll try it. I just have big doubts that he will want to stay. Uh, Manchester City will wait until the summer to add a striker to the ranks with the club retaining interest in Tottenham and England striker Harry Kane while also having Erling Haaland on the list of targets. I think the the, the hatred, and it is hatred, between Pep and Mino scupper any chance of a deal there. And I think... I don't think the owners will back Pep to the tune of 100 and plus million for Kane. Not at 29... And not when the Grealish thing has gone so poorly so far. 
Um, Barcelona's hopes of, of extending Usman Dembele have suffered a blow with talks having broken down. Allegedly, this is because Newcastle have offered him something ridiculous. Newcastle hope to complete a deal for Kieran Trippier. Uh, yeah, whatever, who cares? He's not very good, so enjoy. Uh, Chelsea have inquired about the availability of Teo Hernandez. I don't think they do. They have. Like, they're very much committed to Ben Chilwell as their long-term left-back. Theo Hernandez is substantially better than Ben Chilwell. But I don't think they're going to go and spend 50 or 60 million on a left-back when they believe they have their long-term left-back. Uh, Wolfsburg defender Maxence Lacroix. Fenerbahce's Hungarian Attila Zlehe. And Sevilla's French international Jules Koundé are among the defenders Chelsea could target. Yeah, but like, I hate when people, when, when outlets put this kind of tripe out there. Here's defenders they could look at. Like, are they going to? It seems unlikely. Maybe the kid for Fenerbahce, because he'll be cheap. But not Kunde in January, I wouldn't imagine. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain still believe they can st- st- sign Kylian Mbappe to a new deal. I think they might be fooling themselves. Uh, Ralph Ranić has told Dean Henderson he will not be allowed to leave the club in January with Tottenham monitoring his situation. Yeah, I mean, I can see why you'd want to keep him, but for him, he has to get out of there. United have entered the race to sign Rafinha. No, they haven't. It's absolute tripe. Um, Hugo Lloris is open to a return to Nice when his contract with the London with Spurs runs out in the summer. I think Spurs should let him move on. I think they should look to buy him, bring in a long-term keeper. Um, Sevilla have little room to increase their offer for Anthony Martial after Manchester United rejected their attempts to take him on loan. Liverpool and Newcastle are interested in Agabu Kamara. He only moved to Olympiacos in the summer. Leave the boy alone, let him develop. Besiktas are in talks to sign Cenk Tusen on loan. Why not? Why not just get rid of him? He Don't even do a loan. Tell them they have to sign him on an 18-month contract and just give him his release. Borussia Mönchengladbach have confirmed that Dennis Zakaria will leave on loan, or leave on a free in the summer, uh, as will Matthias Ginter. That's too very big. That's that's poor from them. Now, they've got a really good director of football, and they've been really well run. But it's poor for them that they've allowed two key players to run their contracts out like that. Napoli are interested in signing Axel Tunzebi and his season-long loan could be cut short so he could join the Italian side. I, I would like to see him go somewhere and play. I don't think he gets a game at Napoli, but I'd like to see him go and play somewhere. Um, and I think Villa need to sort their themselves out. Uh, Ralph Ranja could look... Could look to solve Manchester United's defensive problems with Ronald Arejo. He's not going to be... No, just stop. Stop. They've got Ferran. They've got Maguire. Whether they're good enough or not, they're not going to buy another centre-back because they're committed to those two. Uh, Juventus would be willing to sell Dejan Kulisewski in January. A lot of clubs should be all over that. If that's true, a lot of clubs should be all over it. And you'll excuse me, while well, I end the podcast now to give Jurgen Klopp a ring and tell him you need to sign this boy. Uh, that's me for today, folks. I will see you tomorrow 
enjoy your day. Enjoy United versus Burnley. I don't know if that's a possibility, but, you know, give it your best go. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.